Good afternoon and welcome to the San Francisco Board of Supervisors Land Use and Economic Development Committee. I'm Scott Weiner, the chairman of the committee. To my right is Supervisor Jane Kim, our committee vice chair, and Supervisor Malia Cohen will be joining us uh, shortly. Our clerk uh, um, is Alyssa Somera, who's uh, filling in today for Andrea Osbury. And uh, Madam Clerk, are there any announcements? Yes, please make sure to silence all cell phones and electronic devices. Completed speaker cards and copies of any documents to be included as part of the file should be submitted to the clerk. Items acted upon today will appear on the January 27th Board of Supervisors agenda unless otherwise stated. Thank you. And we are also joined by uh, Supervisor uh, Tang, who has uh, the second item on the agenda today. Um, and uh, Madam Clerk, will you please call item number one? Item number one is a resolution authorizing the acquisition of real property at 66 Raymond Avenue from Bridgeway Vista 2 for the nominal cost of $1. And Supervisor Cohen is the author of item number one. Yes. Yes, this is a good day. I'm really excited, colleagues. Thanks for hearing this item today. This resolution will give the city the ability, ability to officially acquire 66 Raymond Avenue, known to many as the Visitation Valley Community Center. Uh, for over 100 years, the building's been an extremely important asset to the community, especially to seniors that have lived and that are still living um, in the Viz Valley neighborhood. We unfortunately lost the building to foreclosure uh, over a year ago. And it's been a tremendously long road to get to where we are today. Over the last two years, the community has participated in many meetings about the future of this building. And I want to thank all of the community members who have remained steadfast and dedicated to this vision. I also want to um, um, be mindful that this is not just about reclaiming a building, that this is really about reclaiming and a symbolic importance to um, the place that holds the community together. And the city's ownership of this building means that our residents will have a safe and healthy place to gather. Um, it also means that we'll be able to have a place for our families and our children to thrive in the Valley in the Viz Valley community. A very big special thank you to John Updike and the mayor's office for your commitment and dedication in this particular process. It's been very difficult, and I want to acknowledge your hard work. Thank you, John. Now, I would love to go ahead and take up public comment or ask, answer questions if colleagues have questions. Does, does Mr. Uptake oh, need to present? Sorry, forgive me not? for jumping the gun. I figured we'd heard a lot about this already. <laughs> thank you, Chair Weiner, uh, and thank you, Supervisor Cohen, for your support and patience. Uh, John Updike, Director of Real Estate. I uh, really don't have a whole lot to add other than some of the terms and conditions uh, of the conveyance, and, and that is that we are receiving the property for a $1. It is a, a gift. Uh, from the current owners, the Gerardo family, who acquired it through a trustee sale. Uh, the only contingency is we place a plaque on the property in honor of some family members, which we have agreed to do. Uh, that gift is made in their honor. Uh, and then secondly, to invest in the property uh, capital improvements that is equivalent to their cost to acquiring it in the trustee sale. We thought that was more than fair. And after reviewing the uh, issues at the property, we certainly have identified at least $230,000 of improvements that are needed. Uh, we are uh, putting that program together and have identified the funds, so I don't see that as problematic. Uh, we simply want to tee that up 
immediately after gaining possession of the property through a closing. And again, Supervisor, I want to thank you, thank the mayor's staff for their help in really arm wrestling uh, this asset uh, back where it belongs so that it can be a community asset. And uh, uh, it's adjacency to 50 Raymond, where we are doing some fantastic things through APA Family Support Services. Uh, just makes a whole lot of sense to broaden that uh, service delivery to Viz Valley. Great. Thank you, Thank Mr. Uptick. So at this point, public com Oh, I'm sorry, Supervisor Kim. I have a post-it that was covering up your name. My apologies. Oh, no problem. <laughs> actually, it can be either to Supervisor Cohen or to Mr. Updike. I don't actually know the backstory to this, so I know that probably both of you are very familiar with the story, but I was reading it, and it's actually great that we were able to get this at, at a nominal cost and to get back this community service. But I'm curious as to what happened, so what the story was and how we were able to convince um, the ownership to provide this back to the community. And I think it's a huge achievement, and I just want to understand that more in case this happens again. Sure. Um, I can just very uh, briefly go over. So the asset was um, was identified in, in, within foreclosure, right. and about two years ago we started the process of trying to purchase this asset out of foreclosure. So we went through the budget process, got a little over $200,000 to be able to purchase the building, um, and then... Um, a classic case of the right hand not knowing the left hand with Wells Fargo. Um, the property was lost to foreclosure and was sold on the stairs of City Hall. So then I then went to the owner of the uh, of the of the asset and, and I explained to him how important um, this property was to the community, the work that we were doing around um, about rebuilding Visitation Valley and how the uh, community center was a, a treasure. And um, through several meetings, just convinced him um, to, to gift it back to the Amazing. city. So, I mean, there really was no, I didn't, all I had was, you know, the power of persuasion. Um, <laughs> I'm oh, grateful that he had a benevolent heart. I mean, it was, he had strong San Francisco ties. Okay. Um, the worst case scenario was that it was purchased and then um, developed into condos. I mean, that was one of my greatest fears as well as the community. But the overall vision of what we are looking at now is something that is um, an anchor that will serve um, the ethnic, com the diverse ethnic communities of of the Visitation Valley neighborhood, but also more importantly, it's multi generational. And so we've been um, in constant conversation with DCYF and figuring out what exactly the programming is going to look like. Um, will there will we RFP it out and have an anchor tenants inside the building? We, at this point, we, there's a lot of things that are that are open and up in the air. First things first was getting the acquisition, getting the property back, getting ownership, getting the title. Um, we do have to do a lot of work structurally. The building is very old, um, but um, we are extremely optimistic. Um, this has really been, um, I don't know if you recall, but if you, you, Singtal in particular reported several instances where seniors were required to bring their own toilet paper or they were pulling their resources to keep PG&E energy on, uh, lights on. Um, it's The heat has been shut off. I mean, it's just really been a very mm -hmm. um, tumultuous two years. Uh, but so it's really exciting to be able to deliver this exciting news at the end of uh, end of last year. And so from for now, all of 2015, um, John Updike, myself, um, Maria Sue, we're going to be working to figure out exactly what the next step is going to look like um, um, uh, in terms of service, services that are going to be providing. Really providing. So I, I just want to say congratulations. I think that's amazing. Not only that you were able to acquire this property back for the community, but that you were able to get it at a nominal cost and that the owner didn't ask you for the value of what he or she paid for it. I right. you know, we Congratulations. Were, thank you. I also want to acknowledge my staff, Yo-Yo Chan, who has... Uh, 
bled for this project. Thank you, Yo-Yo. Terrific. Congratulations. Okay. At this point, we will open item number one up for public comment. Is there any public comment on item one? Seeing none, public comment is closed. And Supervisor Cohen, could yes. I have a motion to forward item one to the full board as a committee report with positive recommendation? Yes, Mr. Chair, I'd like to make a motion to move this item with a positive recommendation as a committee report Great. to the full and board. We will take that, Supervisor Kim, without Perfect. objection. Thank that you. will be the order. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Madam Clerk, will you please call item two? Item number two is a resolution imposing interim zoning controls requiring conditional use authorization for new massage establishments for, east, for 18 months. And Supervisor Tang is the author of item two. All right. Thank you through the chair. Um, thank you, Land Use Committee, for uh, considering this item, this interim control. Um, I have spoken on this numerous times, but really just to set again uh, some context for why we have this before us today. Um, several years ago, uh, our state legislature passed a bill, SB 731, that essentially uh, it did several things. One was that it created this new oversight uh, body called the California Massage Therapy Council. Uh, which would have uh, established uh, statewide uh, uniform regulatory controls for massage establish establishments throughout California. However, one shortfall, and a huge shortfall it was, was that it took away um, our local jurisdiction's ability to control establishments that were 100% uh, certified uh, through this California Massage Therapy Council. So if all workers were certified through uh, what we call CAMTAC for short, they could bypass our local planning and health codes. Uh, so over time, we have seen many problems arise uh, out of this and really our inability to properly enforce and regulate many of these establishments. So through some heavy advocacy and in partnership with our Department of Public Health and our planning department and other advocates, uh, we were able to successfully get AB 1147 passed in September of um, 2014 uh, through the state legislature uh, to basically remove that loophole and it provides our local jurisdictions uh, the ability to enforce establishments regardless of whether they are 100% certified by CAMTAC. So this was huge uh, for not just San Francisco, but really many other jurisdictions in our ability to be able to effectively regulate. And so uh, currently, uh, without these interim controls, which will be followed by permanent controls, uh, if massage establishments are certified uh, through our own Public Department of Health, they have to be, they have to go through a conditional use process uh, through our planning department. However, if you are 100% certified through CAMTAC, you get to bypass that. So you get to bypass uh, local neighborhood notification, um, also all the requisite uh, enforcement. And so uh, today, what we have before you is just an interim control while we have already introduced the um, follow-up legislation, the trailing legislation, and this essentially just does what um, uh, what all massage establishments should be doing, which is that they will all have to go through a conditional use authorization requirement, regardless of whether they're sort of um, they've been permitted through DPH or through CAMTAC. And so uh, I am happy to answer any questions that colleagues uh, may have. But before that, I would love to bring up Cindy Comerford from Department of Public Health. Uh, again, she's been a wonderful partner. Um, 
Back in the early 2000s, uh, there was a legislative change through this Board of Supervisors uh, to transfer the jurisdiction of regulation of massage establishments from SFPD, the police department, to DPH. And so DPH, um, despite their very small staff, has been crucial to our ability uh, to, again, properly address some of the issues that we see uh, in these establishments, which Cindy will highlight, um, some of which we are very worried about, which includes human trafficking. So. With that, I will turn it over to Cindy. Thank you. How do I switch so I can get the slide up here? Uh, SFGov TV, please. There we go. Um, again, my name is Cindy Comerford, and I work in the environmental health branch um, of the health department, and I manage planning and policy. And today, I'm just going to give you a brief overview of the regulatory environment of massage establishments in San Francisco. Um, and just want to kind of emphasize uh, why the department really supports the uh, passage of the interim controls. So this slide, this first slide, um, shows all of the massage establishments and their locations in San Francisco. Uh, currently, we have 236 massage establishments in San Francisco. 146 of them are permanent and regulated by DPH, and the other 90 are CAMTAC exempt meaning that 100% of their practitioners are certified by the state and they have no um, regulation over them by the city. Um, the last time I gave this presentation, which is about a year and a half ago in front of uh, state officials, we had 62 CAMTAC exempt uh, establishments. So over the last year, we've seen about 28 new uh, CAMTAC exempt establishments open in San Francisco. Um, and about 15 of these establishments used to be regulated by DPH, and about two-thirds of the establishments that switched over had a high number of violations. As you can see, many of the massage establishments are uh, concentrated in uh, several neighborhoods. Um, approximately 70% of the establishments are located in seven neighborhoods. This includes the Sunset, Financial District, Civic Center, Richmond, Chinatown, and Western Edition. And one other interesting fact, the last time I did this presentation, the last neighborhood was south of Market, and now there seems to be a lot more moving into a western addition along the Geary Corridor. Um, so about the 90 establishments that are the CAMTAC exempt, they're unregulated. Um, so what do I mean by unregulated? This slide kind of gives an outline of the difference between the DPH regulated establishments and the CAMTAC exempt ones. So for the ones for DPH, we issue permits, um, and we're able to enforce violations and also revoke permits. This is not true of CAMTAC sites. There's no permit issued by the state or by DPH. Um, we charge a fee for our permits and license. All of our environmental health programs are cost recovery, so we're able to recover the cost for a regulatory program. This is not true for CAMTAC sites. Um, as Supervisor Tang just spoke about, uh, our permits are subject to local zoning and land use control, which CAMTAC is not. And lastly, um, DPH, we're compliant to the state human trafficking poster laws, and we also do a lot of training for our inspectors and for when we issue practitioner license around human trafficking, which CAMTAC does not. Um, so I just want to quickly talk about some of the consequences that we've seen over the last couple of years of SB 731. 
About 89 of the 146 DPH permanent sites are now within 1,000 feet of a CAMTAC exempt site. Um, these sites have gone, undergone no zoning or plan check. And so since we don't give them a permit at DPH, we don't go and see, um, we don't do any um, plan check of the establishments. Um, the preemptive state law has kind of created this concentration of establishments. Um, and therefore, the city really hasn't been able to make optimal land use choices. Um, since we didn't go through, since a lot of these establishments did not go through a public process, uh, conditional use, there's no public process or community input. And really the surplus has impeded the health department's um, kind of regulatory authority. And we haven't really been able to do um, a lot of protect safety or do the inspections that we do for the ones that are permitted. So what has happened is created this two-tier system in San Francisco. One sites that are regulated by, by DPH and the others that are regulated by CAMTAC. And just to kind of give you an idea of the problems that we face or the things that we see um, when we go in and inspect uh, massage establishments. And this isn't specific to CAMTAC or DPH, but just to tell you that it's it's been a very problematic industry for years, and it's been a very difficult job for the health department to come in and make these regulations, and we've made a lot of progress in the last couple of years. And although we have a long way to go, I think we're really headed in the right direction right now. But often when we go in with inspectors, we see businesses that have opaque windows, have illegal security cameras on the outside, have locked doors. Um, we see many building and planning code violations with living conditions. We often see people uh, prohibited living quarters where we know that people are living within the establishments, which usually are signs of people who are being trafficked or kept there beyond their will. Um, a lot of times we see uh, attire that a massage practitioner normally would not be wearing under licit um, conditions and a lot of unsanitary conditions, which isn't safe for people to be living in or working in either or having customers go to. Um, so if we kind of look at the different types of violations, um, over 50% of the establishments in San Francisco have at least one violation. 14% have more than 10. Since 2008, we've revoked over 80 permits of massage establishments. But unfortunately, because of the laws which we've begun to change, 60% um, of those have opened under different licenses. And 30, we see 30% of those have opened and closed multiple times. Um, and our estimates are that 30 to 50% of these massage establishments are illicit. And this, the next one with the crosses kind of shows, the first one shows here's where all the violations, and this shows all the ones where there's been closures. So kind of what we've done so far, Supervisor Tang kind of alluded that we've kind of started with this assessment on uh, SB 731 years ago. Um, we've worked very hard with the supervisor's office, the planning department, and the mayor's office to do a lot of legislative reform with the passage of AB 1147. Last year, Supervisor Tang sponsored legislation to amend the health code that has brought about stricter enforcement and more transparency. We're here today um, with the interim controls. Um, in a couple of weeks or in a month and a half, we'll be coming before you with amendments to the planning code and to the health code to amend, um, to codify AB 1147, and also add some provisions around um, stricter enforcement. Um, also, the health department is working very hard to kind of retool their own program to make it more efficient, to have a really great implementation plan when this legislation gets passed, and also to incorporate a healthcare worker and outreach worker to our business community around this legislation. And I'm happy to answer any questions if everyone has any.
No question. Thank you so much uh, through the chair. Thank you to DPH and of course um, planning departments here if anyone has any questions for them. But uh, as Cindy alluded to, our, we do have trailing legislation that's already been introduced uh, that will formalize uh, not only what we are doing here in the interim, but also um, trying to make sure that we do have additional tools for our various departments, uh, given that they are also very short on staff and resources to be able to properly enforce and regulate. So uh, with that then, colleagues, if there are no more questions, I just want to encourage you to send this out of uh, Land Use Committee with a positive recommendation as a committee report. Great. Thank you, Supervisor Tang. Uh, is there any public comment on item number two? Seeing none, public comment is closed. Supervisor Kim. Thank you. I will make that motion as requested by the um, author of uh, the interim controls. But I just want to recognize the work that DPH has done. I remember when then Supervisor Chu fought um, for staffing um, at the Department of Public Health specifically around this issue um, because of the growth that she was seeing in her neighborhood and seeing the outcome of the budget that we put aside for staffing and the data that's been collected and, and all of that work, it's um, both very sad, but it's also great that we now have this data before us, and I think it helps us um, understand how to better address the issue. And I um, want to thank Supervisor Tang for continuing that work and actually following up with the legislation to help us um, better enforce um, this issue. So um, I'll make that motion. Great. So the motion is to forward item two to the full board with positive recommendation as a committee report. And Supervisor Kim has made that motion. And without objection, that will be the order. And Madam Clerk, will you please call item number three? Item number three is a resolution extending for an additional six-month period interim zoning controls requiring conditional use authorization for limited financial service and business or professional service uses in the Upper Market Neighborhood Commercial Transit District. Uh, thank you. I'm the author of item number three. Uh, colleagues, this resolution extends interim controls for the Upper Market NCT by an additional six month, months. These controls uh, require conditional use uh, for ground floor business and professional services and limited financial services. Uh, having uh, a commercial corridor with too many of these uh, office-like uses uh, can really deaden the commercial corridor. And uh, it's uh, important to have uh, some oversight and community input when we talk about locating office space in retail uh, space. And particularly given the level of development in upper market and the significant amount of new retail space coming online, uh, it's important that we not just uh, allow uh, property owners to default to, uh, for example, title companies and other office uses uh, that uh, when we have too much of it can be a real problem for the neighborhood. So we uh, passed these interim controls last year. Uh, we are working on uh, or we've introduced permanent legislation for upper market as well as the Castro NCD and the 24th Street NCD, and that is moving forward, but we do need some additional time. Uh, so uh, with that, if there are no comments, I will open up item number three uh, to public comment, unless the planning department would like to say add anything. Okay, great. Uh, is there any public comment on item three? Uh, seeing none, public comment is closed. Uh, colleagues, could I have a motion to forward item three to the full board with positive recommendation as a committee report? Moved by Supervisor Cohen, and we will take that without objection. Madam Clerk, can you please call item number four? Item number four is an ordinance amending the planning code to permit arcades in the Upper Market Street Neighborhood Commercial Transit District. 
Okay, and I'm the author of item number four. Uh, colleagues, I, I know uh, we've had quite a few arcade game uh, related uh, pieces of legislation come to uh, the board, and, and this is uh, the next. And I guess uh, Supervisor Breed and I are gradually um, uh, rationalizing uh, the irrational approach that our planning code has taken uh, to, uh, uh, I guess, what some people viewed as a nuisance back in the day, but which really isn't anymore. Uh, the legislation before us uh, would principally permit arcade games within the upper market neighborhood commercial transit district. The legislation was uh, considered and supported unanimously by the Planning Commission. Um, as you'll recall, this follows previous legislative efforts over the past year, including legislation uh, from Supervisor Breed and myself uh, to provide an exemption from the police code regulation for locations with up to 10 arcade games along Upper Market Street and Haight Street. Uh, legislation that I co-sponsored with Supervisor Breed uh, and that was passed by this board unanimously, reforming how the police code regulates arcade games citywide, and then legislation authored by Supervisor Breed updating the planning code with respect to arcade games in the Haight Street NCD. Uh, as recent legislative history shows us, pinball machines and arcade games in San Francisco are regulated through a very complicated and outdated overlap uh, in both the planning code and the police code generated in the 1980s in a very different time. Uh, in the 1980s, arcade games were seen as a nuisance, primarily as a distraction for kids. Uh, today, every child has a cell phone filled with online games and apps. Pinball machines and uh, other uh, arcade games are, have increasingly become a novelty. And uh, we've seen uh, several bars open up uh, that are uh, centered around arcade games. Uh, with the legislation before us today, uh, locations along Upper Market Street will no longer be micromanaged by the planning code in terms of how many pinball machines they can have. Instead, they will be regulated by an entertainment permit that will help ensure that any arcade uses remain a positive addition to the neighborhood. I am considering legislation that would be citywide uh, that would take what we're proposing today uh, citywide because, you know, frankly, the planning code should not have a lot to say uh, about arcade games. Uh, we are considering that, and uh, please uh, stay tuned. So, colleagues, I ask for your uh, support. Um, I know that uh, planning staff is here. Good afternoon, uh, Supervisor Diego Sanchez with the Planning Department. I'd just like to briefly say that on December 18th, the Planning Commission heard the proposed ordinance. Uh, after some brief deliberation, the Planning Commission unanimously, unanimously recommended approval of the proposed ordinance with one modification. The modification is to consider up to four mechanical amusement devices or pinball games as an accessory use and up to 10 mechanical amusement devices as an other entertainment use uh, within the Upper Market Street NCT. Uh, that concludes my presentation, and I'm available for questions. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, is there any public comment on item number four? Seeing none, public comment is closed. And colleagues, uh, I would ask for a motion to forward item four to the full board with positive recommendation. Okay, and without objection, that will be the order. Uh, Madam Clerk, will you please call item number five? Item number five is an ordinance amending the police code to require formula retail establishments that have entered into contracts with property services contractors to provide such contractors with copies of the police code that establishes certain rights of contractor employees. 
Okay, and Supervisor Breed is the author of item number five. I believe that Mr. Johnston from her office uh, will be uh, joining us. I imagine he's on his way now. Here he is. You guys move so fast, Chair Weiner. It's just a good thing my office is close. Uh, sorry about that. Good afternoon, uh, Connor Johnston, legislative aide to President Breed. And I don't want to build this up too much, but I think this may be the most important legislation <laughs> you will see all year. <laughs> uh, thank you for laughing, because it was a joke. Um, this was, this was uh, probably uh, a verbal amendment that President Breed would have done on the floor when the two pieces of formula retail legislation were originally going through. But it was President Chu's last meeting and she didn't want to delay the final passage. So she did it as trailing legislation. The gist of it is uh, the two pieces of formula retail legislation that passed in December imposed new requirements on janitorial and security contractors of formula retailers. When the law becomes operative in, uh, on July 3rd of this year, those contractors will be notified about those new requirements as they are negotiating new contracts. However, there is a class, probably a small class, of companies operating under existing contracts that under the current law won't be notified about these new requirements that are imposed upon them. So all her trailing legislation does is says for those existing contractors, those existing security and janitorial contractors operating under existing contracts, let's make sure that the formula retailers with whom they are contracting disclose to the contractors hey, the Board of Supervisors just passed this legislation and it impacts you under the contract we already have. So it's just a notification provision. It's already in there prospectively for contractors after the operative date. We're just saying let's backdate that for the period between uh, January 4th, the effective date, and, Feb and July 3rd, which is the operative date. Um, I did want to ask just in, in sort of last-minute conversations with the Deputy City Attorney, Josh White, we noticed something that's probably would probably be good to fix um, in the legislation before you today it uses the date of April 1st which uh, Mr. White had pegged based on an initial understanding of the operative date I think it would probably be more accurate to use January 4th which is now the effective date of the original pieces of legislation so if we could I would just request um, that you could introduce a motion to amend page 3 line 24 where it says April 1st, 2015, to change that to the, the current effective date, which is April, uh, January 4th, 2015. Likewise, uh, page 4, line 1, where it says April 1st, to change that to January 4th. And then for the second piece, uh, that would be page 10, line 12, it says April 1st, change that to January 4th. And line 13, excuse me, line 14, change that to January 4th. That way we are capturing, capturing the entire universe of contractors who may have existing contracts that are subject to these laws but under the current legislation wouldn't know it. Okay. And if that made any sense? It did. Good. Thank I'm you, happy Mr. to Johnson. answer any questions. Thank you. Okay, uh, is there any public comment on item number five? Seeing none, public comment is closed. So, uh, colleagues, could I have a motion to adopt the amendments as described by Mr. Johnson? Sure, so moved. Okay. Uh, and without objection, Supervisor Kim, uh, those amendments are adopted. 
And could I now have a motion to forward item five as amended to the full board with positive recommendation? So moved. Okay, and without objection, that'll be the order. Um, I also uh, neglected earlier to thank SFG TV for broadcasting today's hearing, Jonathan Gumwalk and Charles Kremenek. Uh, with that, Madam Clerk, do we have any additional business before the committee? That concludes our business for today. Then we are adjourned. Thank you. <laughs>